Brother Richard broke an ankle this week, and for those of you that know him and his work, um, those two things are not compatible. The work he's in and broken and broken ankles. He's got a is it an MRI or a CT scan, Richard? CT tomorrow, and that CT is going to determine whether or not he has to have surgery. So um, I was looking right at him earlier, and I didn't write his name down. If it's not on my list, you know, but I, I forgot to mention, Richard, you pray for him. Pray for Jennifer and their family. Uh, this is going to put a hitch in his giddy-up for a little while, and so pray for them. Um, they need some help, too. They, um, he's a little short-staffed, and now, now he's really short-staffed. Um, Jennifer's going to be out there driving that truck and back. No, she's not. Uh, but pray for them, would you? And, and pray for their pray for their business uh, during this time. I know they will appreciate you doing that. Let's get to Judges chapter two. The last time we the last time we were here, we talked about this introduction to Judges, and, and we said it was an important book for three reasons that we ought to study it for three reasons. The first reason was because of the book's theme, and the book's theme is this: that obedience always brings God's blessing, and disobedience always brings God's chastening. We ought to study this book just to get that theme drilled into our brains and into our hearts. Obedience brings God's blessing. Disobedience brings his chastening. We also said we should study it because of its relevance. Do you remember last week I read what could have been the headlines from the... the uh, uh, newspapers of the of the day in the book of Judges, and it sounds like it could be the headlines of our day. Um, we don't have to, and I, I hear a lot of churches, or I read their website, and they'll say something on their website about, come to our church, we really make the Bible relevant. We don't have to make the Bible relevant. The Bible's already relevant. What we do is just tend to ignore it. The Bible is relevant to America in 2023 and to the world in 2023. Uh, we don't have to work at this very hard at all. So we study it because of its theme, we study it because of its relevance, and we study it because of its instruction. There is a lot to learn from these little short story blips that you get in here. And it'll span 20 and 40 years and 70 years. It'll span it real quickly. But there's a lot to learn from this book. And so that's why we're looking at this book. G. Campbell Morgan said that the theme here is best described in Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 34. Righteousness exalted the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And you could write that at the beginning of the book of Judges, and it will be, it'll be fitting to describe that book. Tonight, we're going to look at Judges chapter 2. Not every verse in it. Remember, this is surveying the book of Judges, so it's an, it's an overview of the book. But we're looking at how to make a spiritual rut. And that rut is the rut of disobedience. Now, if you're a deer hunter in here, I'm not talking about that rut. I'm talking about a ditch rut, all right? I'm in the wrong time of the year, and, and maybe with some of you guys, the wrong uh, lingo, but we're talking about a rut of disobedience, and it's best described. Let's not take the time to read all these verses, but it's best described in verses 11 through 23 of Judges chapter 2, and it tells, it tells how they did it. They would sin. God would chasten them with captivity. They'd cry out to God. God would send judges and deliver them. They would be going well, and then that judge would die off, and then they'd go back into sin. And God would chasten them by putting them back into captivity. And you can see this rut, this spiritual rut that they got in. And so at the beginning of this, ask yourself, have you ever been, or maybe even right now, are you in a spiritual rut? No growth 
no zeal, no excitement about the word of God or the things of God. There's not that desire in you to grow. That's what a rut is. And if you're not in one, maybe you have been in one and you can identify with that. There's always the danger for the Christian of moving away from the victorious Christian life and getting into a spiritual rut where all of a sudden I'm going to church because it's Sunday or I'm going to church because it's Wednesday. Those are lousy reasons to go to church. We go to church to worship the Lord. We go to church to fellowship with the saints. We go to church to open his word. We go to church uh, for that koinonia fellowship that we missed during those seven weeks of COVID when we weren't meeting together. And I was preaching to an auditorium that had Roy and Pat Squires here because she played the piano and had somebody working the sound system and Daniel was up here leading singing. And that was it. And it dawned on me that I took for granted the fellowship of the church. We gather together for a lot more purposes than just days of the week. There's a reason that we meet. In fact, there's a bunch of reasons that we ought to forsake not the assembling of ourselves. Well, that's Israel's story in Judges chapter 2. They're in this spiritual rut. Judges 1 really contrasts a lot with Judges 2. It moves pretty quickly. I wrote down just a few notes. Maybe you you can find more. Uh, The beginning of Judges chapter 1 shows Israel fighting the enemy. By the end of chapter 1, verses 21 and following, really, they're sparing the enemy. Judges chapter 2 finds them imitating their enemies, and then they're obeying their enemies by the end of the chapter. You can see this progression here, fighting, sparing, imitating, obeying. It's the rut. They repeat those four things again and again and again. They fail to live victoriously in a land that God gave them and in victory that God promised them. It was a spiritual rut. They tolerated. You remember we we made this observation last week in verses 27 through 33 in Judges 1. We noticed that they tolerated things that were out of harmony with the holiness of God. Christians can't do that. The holiness of God ought to be our goal. We're to be holy because God's holy. We can't compromise on those things. That progression exists for you and I today. I left it on your worksheet. Here's how the progression works for you and me. First, we get friendly with the world. That's in James chapter 4 and verse 4. We get friendly with the world. Second, we get spotted by the world or tainted there there's a there's a whiff of worldliness to us then we love the world first john 2:15 says we're not to do that but we start loving the world and then once we love it we start conforming to the world romans 12:2 says we ought not to do that so we are friendly with the world We kind of tolerate it, and then it it taints us a little bit, and then we start loving it, and we conform ourselves to it, and and 1 Corinthians 11.32 says we need to be careful so that we're not condemned with the world. Watch out for this, this progression, this rut that we can get into. Your, Your relationship with Christ, your fellowship with Christ, there ought to be something every day 
that gets you going about your relationship with Christ. There ought to be an excitement. I'm not talking about something that's put on. I'm not talking about fake smiles. When we're, when we're hurting, we ought to hurt with, we, we, when someone's hurting, we ought to hurt with people. I'm not talking about that at all, but there ought to be this, this consistently uh, evident joy in us, even in trial. There ought to be a joy in us because we're Christians. Not always happy, but joyful. It won't do it. That won't happen in us if we're marked by the world. And that's, that's why it's important for you and I to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul said we're to walk in the Spirit so we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. We can through Jesus Christ, as Paul says in another place, we can go from victory to victory. But that's only possible if we stay out of this spiritual rut. Watch the world. The world is so stinking subtle, isn't it? Worldliness is so subtle and it creeps in and we don't, we, we don't really realize that it's, that it's, well, to use the Bible's word, we don't realize that it's spotted us. It's, it's made us a little less than clean before God. And Israel just had a, they had a, care, they, they had a uh, careless problem with that. So I, wanna, I want us to see how they fell into this trap. Of this, and and again, we have to be careful about uh, we have to be careful about pointing fingers at Israel and say they should know better. I mean, after all, God did for them in Egypt and through the wilderness and across the Red Sea and across Jordan and victories at Jericho. They should have known better. Well, so should you and I. And if we're not careful, I mean, this is the warning for us. It's the warning for me and the warning for you. Israel did it. They got into this spiritual rut, and you and I, Christian. Even with, the, even with the full word of God, which they didn't have at the time, even with God's full word, we can get into the spiritual rut where I'm going to church because it's Sunday. It's what I'm supposed to do. If the pastor doesn't see me there Sunday, he's going to preach on Hebrews 10.25 next Sunday about forsake not the assembly. We don't want to do that. I, I don't ever want to be guilt-driven to coming to church. I want to anticipate coming into God's house. When I come through that door... If somebody else is preaching besides me, I, I want to know what God has for me that day from his word. It's not about the personality behind this pulpit. It's about what God has to say through his word. Can I be honest with you? This is the truth. And don't, don't sit there and look pious because you think the same thing sometimes. I've heard some pretty sorry preachers before. I'm, they're just not good preachers. But they open up God's word and they rightly divide it. Maybe their communication skills aren't that good. Maybe they're a little too casual in the pulpit. But they opened up the word of God and they rightly divided it. And God's Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, don't look at the messenger. Listen to the message. And if we would come to God's house like that, in your daily prayer closet, when you're opening up the word and you're going you're gonna to have your quiet time, just you and the Lord for the day, when you're going to do that in the morning or the evening, whatever your habit is, if you open it up and you come, I promise you this is true, if you come expectantly to this book, you will not be disappointed when you leave. It will keep you from the spiritual rut. But when you don't have time today or tomorrow or maybe for three or four days in a row, when you don't have time for that quiet time with God, when you don't have time for prayer and Bible study, not just Bible reading, 
And that happens one day this week and two days next week and three days the week after that. You're headed or I'm headed for a spiritual rut, guaranteed, going to happen. So let's talk tonight about how, how they got into this rut and what we want to learn from is how not to get into that rut. All right? We'll do this, we'll do this quickly. Let's start in chapter 2. And first of all, we're going to look at this thought. They forgot what the Lord had done. They forgot what the Lord had done. We, talked, we read the first few verses of this um, last week. So let's start reading at verse number 10. And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man unto his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being a hundred and ten years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in timnath Harris in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill Gaish. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. And here's the, the, the phrase that gives us our first point. And there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. They forgot what the Lord had done. Here was Joshua, the guy that stood next to Moses, and eventually succeeded Moses by God's, by God's appointment. Now, Joshua, 110 years, and I, I love the way he's memorialized for us, don't you? This is what it says. He was the servant of the Lord. That's a great epitaph. Joshua, the servant of the Lord. He died being 110 years old, and all of these other folks died with him. You remember the qualification to get into the nation of, or to get into the promised land after they uh, f- walked around for 40 years. The Bible said this, only those that are 20 years and older were going to get into the promised land. That's the generation that died off. All that generation that walked into the promised land, those 20-year-olds who were 60 by the time they went into Canaan, they all died off. Their children died off. Perhaps their grandchildren died off. And there arose another generation that knew not the Lord, and they didn't know anything about his works. Now, you have to ask yourself, whose fault was that? Why didn't those succeeding generations know about the mighty works of God? But here's the truth of it. They forgot what the Lord has done. There might be some of you in here today that were alive when President Eisenhower led our country. Is there anybody in here? I was going, you were here when Ike was president? How much do you remember of his presidency? We're not going to offer that up, are we? I intentionally chose Ike because I thought, well, no, there will be some of you in here when uh, when FDR was president. How many were alive when FDR was president? Now I'm meddling, right? I'm sorry, Doris. That was my bad. I should have known better. You don't remember a lot from those presidencies when you were a kid. Who was president when you were a child? And what do you remember about them? That's what was going on in Israel. They got further and further and further away from those mighty works that God did. Moms and dads were not telling their children about the God of Israel that brought them out of Egypt, that led them through the Red Sea on dry ground, that destroyed Pharaoh 
with a miraculous and mighty hand that brought them into Canaan, that defeated enemies that a bunch of slaves should never have been able to whip. Mom and Dad forgot to tell and pass on those stories of Jericho. What a crazy military strategy to take the mighty city of Jericho. That's an insane strategy to take a city. We don't want you to catapult rocks into it. We don't want any battering rams on the gates. Just walk around it. Just go on a hike every day for six days. Walk around that city. Day number seven, seven times around the city. And hey, nobody say one word. This is their strategy. Do you realize the psychological impact that was, have, that was having on the inhabitants of Jericho? To watch hundreds of thousands of soldiers march around that city and not say one word? How intimidating was that? So when those walls came down, those people in Jericho, well, what did Rahab say before they ever got there? Remember what she told the spies? She told those spies that she kept on their roof. She said, we heard what your God did for you on the other side of Jordan. Our hearts have already melted inside this city. Translation, we are scared to death. And then here they come, silently just walking around that city. That is, that is called psyops in the military. Those walls came down and God brought a great victory that day. That story didn't get passed on. And there came a generation, probably not very far down the line, where they didn't know anything about Jericho. They didn't know anything about the Red Sea. They didn't know about manna from heaven. They didn't know about those things. Well, they forgot all that they forgot all that God had done. There's someone said, I don't know who, in verse number 10, though, it gives us this truth that Christianity is only one generation away from extinction. I don't know who said that. I need to find out who said it. But, man, that's a powerful statement. I hope it's not our generation that drops the ball. Christianity is only one generation away from extinction. It is so important for every generation to remember what God has done. But moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, pass that information along. Raise your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And some of you are raising your grandchildren. Somewhere around 14% of our country's uh, grandparents are full-time custodians of their grandchildren. Impact them for Christ. Don't let them forget. Second thing, we want to stay away from this rut. How do you get a rut? First of all, forget what God's done. Second thing, what did Israel do? Verses 11 through 13, they forsook what the Lord had said. It says in verse 11, this generation now, they don't know anything about God. They don't know anything about his mighty works. Verse 11, and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Baalim. That's not a misprint. Most of the time we talk about Baal. The I-M at the end makes it a plural word. And so they served several different forms of Baal. They got into it. The Bible says in verse 12, they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. Boy, that is, that is never a good statement, isn't it? Don't provoke an omnipotent God. You will not, I will not win that. You don't want to make him mad. And verse 13 says, They forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. Baal, you know, he's the god of harvest and fertility for the Canaanite pagans. 
Ashtaroth throughout history has had, that's a female god, and she's had different names. Um, Asatart, she's called, uh, I wrote down a few of them, Ishtar, Astart, Aphrodite. Uh, the Greeks called her Aphrodite. It's, she's, she's the god of love and war. Baal and Ashtaroth are now their primary gods in the day, in the land of God. In the land that God had given them. They're building these altars and they're building these idols up and they're worshiping. Bring that forward to today. They were tolerating Baal and worship and accepted him. Bring that forward to today in our day of tolerance where people say it's, it's fine if you want to be a Christian, but I want to be a Buddhist and so let's just, let's just live together. Let's, let's just make it all work. My least, one of my least favorite bumper stickers is that bumper sticker that takes out all the religious, they take all the religious symbols to spell out coexist. If I wouldn't get charged with vandalism, I'd like to carry a straight razor with me at Walmart. When I see that thing, when I'm walking by that car, just scrape that right off the back of their windshield. I'd like to do that, but I don't. Coexist just gets people to hell. It makes them feel comfortable on their way to hell. That tolerance will. Because Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism and Christianity and Judaism and all the other isms, are they're not all the same and they don't have the same end and they don't worship the same God. It's not, that's not how it works. They forsook what the Lord had said. When it came to them worshiping other gods, you knew there were going to be problems. I mean, it said twice in here, it says they provoked the Lord to anger and they forsook the Lord. And Baal didn't mind Israel worshiping him. But God did. Israel forgot Joshua. They forgot his farewell address. I I love Joshua's last words. Joshua 23 and 24. You, You should read those sometimes. And hear the heart of a man who loves his country, but can already see we're going to have problems here. I was under his leadership that not all of the Canaanites were driven out, and he knew what that meant. If they would have remembered Joshua's speeches and they would have remembered the law that Moses had given them, they would have remembered what God said. There's a responsibility on them to obey. I I put on your worksheet this, this little phrase. When you forget the word of God, you are in danger of forsaking the God of the word. This is your tie to God. This is. It's not creation. But pastor, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. Yes, it does. But that is general revelation that tells you nothing about your sin or your need for a savior. All it does says there's somebody bigger than you that can make this place and keep it running. You and I need the special revelation of God's word. And when we forget the word of God, we're in danger of forsaking the God of the word. This is our tie to it. God speaks to us through his word and through his Holy Spirit. Make it part of your daily, make it part of your daily life. I don't, I, I don't share a lot of things in conversations that I have with people, but I wrote this down, not using anybody's name. But I was talking to a guy one time, and there was some pretty deep-seated sin in his life, and I was trying to compassionately address it with him. And so I challenged him on the time that he had been spending in the word prior to this sin that he was committing. 
And after we talked for a while, he admitted to me that he hadn't been going into the word every day. That his time at his church was growing less and less. And while that's going on on this side of his life, this, this immoral sin that he's getting involved in was only deepening. And at the, at the end of the conversation, he said this. But Mark, I really haven't changed that much. Yeah, you have. And yes, I do. I revert to being Mark instead of being like Jesus. The, the work, the, the, the primary tool that God uses to make me more like Christ is the word of God engrafted in, into my heart and into my life, and it makes me more like Christ. And for me to say that I can forsake God's word, and I, I really don't have to obey every part of that if I'm just doing some of it, I'm really not going to change that much. Well, maybe that is a true statement. Hey, that is, you're not going to change from being like Mark. You're just going to stay the same. I need the word of God and the obedience to it. So they forsook, they forsook what God said to do. The third thing is this. We better keep moving, right? The third thing is this. They forfeited what the Lord had promised. To forfeit means to give up, to, to willingly give up, to lose right to possess. It says in verse number 14, and the anger of the Lord was, was hot against Israel, and he delivered them into the hands of spoilers that spoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about, so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. Whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn unto them, and they were greatly distressed." Now, this is, a, this is a broad paintbrush right here. God is telling you what's going to happen throughout the book of Judges over the next few chapters. This is an overview. Those two verses are an overview. Keep reading. It says in verse 16, Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges, which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. Do you see the... He's not listing any details here. He's not telling you into whose hand he sold them. He's not telling you how long he sold them into their hand. And he's not naming any judges. All he's doing is previewing the rest of the book. He's giving you the big picture up front. And then we're going to get into chapter 3. And he's going to start naming names and pointing to people. He'll start telling you about times and locations and armies. But here he's just giving us this, this overview. When they went to fight, their, when the Bible says... When the Bible says, uh, verse 15, whithersoever they went out, do you see that? Whithersoever they went out, generally that means went out to war. Generally in the Old Testament, that phrase means when they went out to war. What happened when they did that? The hand of the Lord was against them for evil, and as the Lord had sworn unto them, and they were greatly distressed, they were, they were sold into the hands of their enemies. They just could not find that victory like they used to have. Why? Because the Lord wasn't with them. They forsook the Lord. They forfeited what he had promised. Israel failed to keep the one obligation of the covenant God had made with them. What was that, what was that one obligation? What was the one thing he said? If you do this, I'll bless you. What was the one condition of the covenant, obedience. That was it. That was it. They forsook, they, they failed to keep the one obligation of the covenant, and that was obedience. 
We have pointed to, in the last few weeks, we pointed to Deuteronomy chapter 28. And Deuteronomy chapter 28 is a long chapter. It's a long chapter. So we won't read the whole thing. But you know, in that chapter, there are 50 plus verses, over 50 verses, that describe what's going to happen if Israel forsakes God and doesn't obey him. 50 verses in one chapter. He goes again and again. We we really don't have time to read them all. In Deuteronomy 28, verses 16 through 19, verses 21 through 26, verse 28, verse 30 and 31, verse 39 to 42, verse 58, 59. It goes on and on and on. God says, this is what's going to happen. 50 different verses and detailed description. I'll take away your crops. I'll take away your sheep. I'll take away your goats. Your bodies are going to suffer. Your land's going to suffer. He goes into great detail this whole time. And he talks about, he, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, the word comes up wonderful. Wonderful does not mean in that context what you and I use wonderful for today. Somebody, something good happens to a brother or sister in Christ and you want to rejoice. You say, oh, that is wonderful. That is not how that word is used in Deuteronomy chapter 28. In Deuteronomy 28, it means extraordinary. And it's used to describe the chastening that they would endure if they failed to obey God. And, and Moses said, the chastening you're going to get is going to be extraordinary. Obey God. Fifty plus verses warning them. Do you think God wanted them to obey? Don't you think that's what God was driving them to? Stick with obeying God. And you'll know God's God's blessing. Someone said wrath is an important part of love when the lover is perfectly righteous and the beloved are sinful. Now I say that again. Wrath is an important part of love when the lover is perfectly righteous and the beloved are sinful. The Bible speaks of the wrath of the lamb. God is gentle. God is good. God is kind. God is merciful. And at the exact same time and in the exact same measure, God is holy and God is righteous and God is just. He doesn't compromise any of those for the other. He loved the children of Israel. He loved blessing the children of Israel when they were obedient. And he chastened them when they weren't because he loved them. You go back and read those 50 verses in in Deuteronomy 28. Just just read that passage of scripture and you'll notice that throughout the book of Judges, all of those things came to pass on the nation of Israel because they forsook God. They They got into that rut. But there's something else that occurred there. Israel's enemies eventually became their masters. Their enemies became their masters. God allowed the enemies of Israel, one nation after another, to come in and invade the land. You remember we read this last week that there are a couple of the tribes that were living up in the caves. They'd been run off of their God-given property and they're hiding out in caves. These enemies have become their masters. He ceased to regard them as his people that loved him 
and he treated them as if they weren't the people he loved. He chastened them, and he chastened them hard. All they had to do was obey God, and God would have blessed. But they consistently got into that rut. They were delivered. Everything was going well. The judge would die, and they'd they'd go right back to Baal. They'd go right back to Ashtaroth. They loved the world in which they lived. A thousand years later, John is going to say, don't love the world and don't love the things that are in the world. Jesus is going to tell those that he's speaking to in in Luke chapter 12, "Don't, don't think that your life consists of what you possess. Don't love this world and don't love the things in it. Well, Israel had a hard time obeying that. This is another way of saying what I said earlier. God's promises for blessing are conditional and obedience is the condition. His promises for blessing are conditional. Obedience is the condition. You don't have to do anything to be saved. You can't do anything to be saved. But you have to do something to know God's blessing. You have to obey. I have to obey. It's conditional. Israel forfeited what God had promised They gave it up because they neglected that one obligation they had. What was it? Obedience. Number four, they failed to learn from what the Lord did. Here's the rut. Would you look at verse 16? (coughs) Verses 14 and 15 tell us that they sinned. God delivered them into the hand of spoilers who spoiled them. Verse 16 said, Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges, which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. And yet, they would not hearken unto their judges. But they went a-whoring after other gods and bowed themselves unto them. They turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandments of the Lord, but they did not so. And when the Lord raised them up judges, then the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For it repented the Lord because of their groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead, what did Israel do? That they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers in following other gods to serve them, to bow down unto them. They ceased not from their own doings, nor from their stubborn way. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he said, Because that this people have transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and have not hearkened unto my voice, I also will not henceforth drive out from any before them of the nations which Joshua left when he died, that through them I might prove Israel, whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk therein, as their fathers did, did keep it or not. Therefore, the Lord left those nations without driving them out hastily, neither delivered he them into the hand of Joshua. Joshua left it undone, and God said, I'm not going to do the work. I told you what you needed to do. You left it undone. We're going to leave it as so. These verses describe that Israel failed to learn from what the Lord had did. If Israel turned away to worship idols, God chastened them. And that describes how he did it. He did it hard. They would suffer and they would, did you catch the word? Very descriptive. In verse number 18, the end of the verse, because of their groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. They were crying out. And God heard their cries and so God delivered them. 
God sent a judge and delivered. As soon as the judge died, they got comfortable and they went right back to their sin. Can, may I ask you a question? What, what does it tell you about the spiritual depth of Israel that when they lost their leader, the Bible says when the judge died, they went right back, the phrase God uses is, they went right back a whoring after other gods. Why did their spiritual walk have to be so dependent on that man or that woman, in Deborah's case? They should have had such a walk with God that it didn't matter who the judge was. He was not or she was not the cause of their walk with Christ. Their love for God is what kept them walking with God. But they followed that man. And, what, and you see this in, in a lot of false churches today. When, when a church or a ministry is built around a man, I would disconnect from that church or ministry. I wouldn't send them one red set. Nothing. Who, was, who the judge was in Israel should have had nothing to do with how they responded to the, to the call of the Lord to obedience. They had the law. They knew what the law was. They knew that they were to love the Lord their God and him only shalt thou serve. They knew they were not to bow down before idols. They, they could go one through ten. They could go through the commandments. They didn't need to judge for that. But the Bible's clear that time after time after time, this rut process that they kept going through, the judge would die and Israel would return to idolatry. Don't let your pastor or your teacher or some Bible instructor on TV, don't let them be the primary cause of your walk with Christ. I remember there was a, years ago, there was a Christian music singer, very well known, very well known. And it came out that he was having an affair. And this young lady, a college student, was attending our church at the time. We were back in the old building. This was a long time ago. She called me crying, and she was heartbroken. I thought somebody had died. And her favorite singer morally fell, and it wiped her out. That, that can't be right. Be careful about letting, about letting a man or a woman be the reason you stay faithful to God. Stay away from that. Don't let, don't let the pastor of this church, don't let your Sunday school teacher be your primary reason for following God. Don't do that. Your pastor and your, your teachers ought to whet your appetite to get into the word throughout the week. You're here for what? An hour on Sunday morning, an hour on Sunday? All right, let's be honest, an hour and a half. I'll be honest, I'm in the pulpit. But all that ought to happen here is whet your appetite for the things of the Lord when you're at home. The Bible says that they, they groaned, they cried out. I, I put this down. Tears may flow easily. Many sins are wept over, but also repeated often. They would come, they would cry out to God, God, we're so sorry for the idolatry. We're sorry for forsaking you. And they would cry. But there wasn't a whole lot of change going on. It was always temporary, all throughout the book. We don't have time. Would you write down, if it's not on your worksheet, 2 Corinthians 7, verses 8 through 11. 
great passage of scripture de- describing this, this is second Corinthians now it's it's the follow up to that chastening book of first Corinthians and at the end of that passage in verse number 9 Paul says this now I rejoice not that ye were made sorry but that ye sorrowed to repentance for ye were made sorry after a godly manner that's what you want you want sorrow that leads to repentance Not sorrow. Did you, mom and dad, do you know the difference between your son or your daughter being sorry they got caught and being sorry for what they did? There's two different things. Israel was always sorry they got caught. Their tears did not lead to genuine repentance. They did not turn away. Israel consistently did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forsook the God of their fathers, and the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he delivered them into the hand of the spoilers. That's what the scripture is saying. What, what's going on here really? They were sold into the hands of some terrible persecutors. Here's the thing. They wasted their suffering. They wasted their suffering. Those words are repeated all the way throughout the book of, of Judges. That they forsook God. His anger was kindled against them. He sold them into the hand of the spoilers. It may not say spoilers. It may say Philistines. It may say Midianites. But the same thing happens. Every time they sinned, they suffered, and they wasted that suffering by not learning how to avoid it the next time. Don't waste your suffering. Don't waste your suffering. You know, God's, the Bible says in these verses that God sent them judges. That word judge in, this, in the Hebrew means rescuer. Rescuer. One who saves. He threw them a lifeline. But they wasted their suffering. And we'll do the same thing if we continually return to our sinful ways once God forgives us and pulls us out of that. We have to stay out of this, of this rut. So let's wrap this up tonight. What we need to do is stay out of that rut. A rut is a ditch with open ends, or a grave, someone said. Somebody said a rut is a grave with open ends. You're not going to prosper there. So what do we do to stay out of it? Well, let's earn, learn in the, in the closing here. Let's learn from Israel's habitual sin. What can we learn? Four things. First of all, God does not tolerate sin in your life if you're a Christian. He loves you too much. That's what verse 15 says. God does not tolerate sin in your life if you're a genuine Christian. He loves you too much. Second, you cannot rely on other people to help you live right. That's the message of verse 19. When the judge was dead, they returned and corrupted themselves. You can't do that. Let your pastor, let your teacher point you in the right direction. But what happens if your pastor dies or your teacher dies? I, well, I've had some significant people in my life die. My dad, one of the godliest men I knew, one of the greatest influences on my life. My dad's in heaven. My pastor that was here at this church, my mentor, I'm Timothy to his Paul died and is in heaven. When, you're, when the one that you're close to, when the Lord takes them or moves them, 
we have to keep going and growing. You cannot rely on other people to help you live. Number next. Third, God allows us to get into the mess we make for ourselves to see if we'll turn back to him. God allows us to get into the mess we make for ourselves to see if we'll turn back to him. That's verse 22. And then the last thought is this. Our unfaithfulness and sin will never outlast God's patience and love. God loves you too much to leave you in your sin. He, He just does. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. If you see a professing Christian living a life of sin, there's no chastening in that person's life. You have a biblical, you have biblical right to question that person. Are you sure you're saved? Because whom the Lord loveth, he will chasten. Israel proves that. One writer said it like this, after time stops and all who rejected God are in hell, when they are no longer sinning but suffering, God's love is still going to be in active existence. His love is unending. Church, I, I, I want to I encourage you as we make our way through this book over the next few weeks, don't get into a spiritual rut. This is the, tonight, now come back for all the rest of the Bible studies, but tonight is the overview of all of the studies we're going to do in the book of Judges going forward. Sin, suffering, chastening, repentance, deliverance, sin, suffering, chastening, repentance, deliverance. It's the same chapter after chapter. The names change. The length of the captivities change, but the story doesn't change. Avoid this spiritual rut. Keep the word of God close. Make it, make it, make it live in your life. Make it live. You know, coming live to you from make this book alive. I encouraged our teens. I, I got to teach the teenagers on, on uh, Sunday. And I encouraged them. I said, look, I said, I don't know what you do for your daily Bible study. I'm not sure. But I said, for, for just, simp- just something simple, take the date, read the proverb that correlates with the date. You ever heard that suggestion before? Here's the thing. You're going to read 15 or 20 or 30 or 40 verses in that proverb in the morning. Do it in the morning. You're going to read 15 to 50 verses. You're not going to remember all those verses that you read that morning. But inevitably, at some point during that day, you are probably going to encounter a situation where a proverb that you read from that chapter is going to pop up. That's the living word of God. The the word of God is a quick and powerful two-edged sword. Quick. It's living you're probably going to come across a situation in that day where God's word is going to have addressed it in the morning and you have the wisdom now to overcome this circumstance or or deal with this person. It'll show up like that. Stay out of the rut. Stay in the word. Keep your, your fellowship with God fresh. Keep it new. Don't get used to it. You come across a story in the Bible that you know well. You come across 1 Samuel 17. We're going to talk about David and Goliath. You don't know everything there is to know in 1 Samuel 17. I guarantee you can go to 1 Samuel 17. No matter how many times you've been through that story, you will find something new in there. That's God's word and God's spirit working together. It keeps us out of that rut.
how to get into a spiritual rut? You want to know how to get into one? Look at Israel. You want to know how to stay out of one? Look at Israel. Don't do what they did. Let's stand together, would you? Lord, we're glad your, your word is true. We're especially thankful that you don't hide the warts of those that serve you. And a lot of these people that we talk about and we name throughout Scripture, we're going to see face-to-face one day, and we look forward to that. But we're still here, and we're still battling our sinful flesh and imperfect minds, and they're finite, they're not infinite like your mind is. And so we need your spirit and your wisdom to teach us how to walk and to live every day. Lord, help me never to be so lifted up in pride that I think I can handle this or I can handle that. Without you, we can do nothing. Help us to confess that often. Help us to stay on our knees, humble before you, and Lord, dependent on you to help us with decisions and with relationships and with circumstances with our victories and with our defeats, Lord, we pray that you would walk with us and that we would have enough sense to walk with you. We pray in your name. Amen. God bless you, church. It's good to see you this evening.